Wow, how are you guys? It's really humiliating to stand up and have to have the pastor check behind you to make sure you're all put together. <laughs> yeah, that's exciting. And we don't, you guys do this differently here in New York. I didn't really realize this. You guys do this. When someone comes up to kind of tell me what's going on and there's something going on out in the parking lot or something, it's usually someone left their lights on. You guys go all the way, you leave their whole car on. It's like, sweet. And, you know, really, you don't have to really, you don't really have to adjust that thing because if the car's on, the battery's not going to go dead with the lights on, right? It's just going to keep charging the battery up. So, I don't know, that sounds like a pretty good deal to me. So, thanks for being here and thanks for the welcome. It's a great privilege to be with you guys. I met uh, Pastor Edwin and Pastor Raymond and uh, their families and some of you about 10 years ago. I came here on a trip uh, from California after the attacks on September 11th. And I came in November, so about two months after that. And um, the mission that we partner with uh, just brought some of us in to say, hey, we want to do a vision tour. We want you to see Ground Zero, but we also want you to see the churches we have started in New York City and in Brooklyn and Coney Island and all that. And uh, so just come and just check it all out. So that's when we became friends. And I've been praying for you uh, in the la- over the last 10 years, and I know you, yeah, it's, it's good, and you guys have been praying for us, I think, over those last 10 years as well, and God has blessed both of us on, on both coasts, you know, uh, we're just serving Christ together, only we're a, fo- a long ways away, and it's just a privilege to be able to be with you today. Uh, I traveled, I did, I, 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 uh, this was not like a mistake in the airline planning, you know, I, I traveled from California to Ethiopia back to here to be with you guys. And the deal is, my church, our church in California, is trying to figure out how do we serve, uh, how do we serve the world? How do we serve people around the world who have various kinds of needs? And we got connected with World Vision, uh, which works with some people in Ethiopia. And they just said, come over and just let, let's just check out what's going on in Ethiopia and how can we serve the poor there and those kinds of things. We watched them preparing water projects. We, we got to see a water project. Most people in Ethiopia have to walk five to seven kilometers, which is about three or four miles, every day, sometimes twice or three times a day, just to get water. They spend their, little girls spend their lives getting water for their families. Little girls can't go to school, typically, because they're traveling back and forth getting water. And while we were there, we got to see how World Vision is putting together this water project. They've capped a spring. They're piping that water from the spring up the hill. They've run pipes all the way down the hill from this reservoir. And this week, coming up, they should turn the switch to, to start the pump that sends this water to 45,000 people. I know. It's like, wow. So we, just, we got to be a part of that. We got to see some of the stuff they're, they're doing to build schools and to build um, medical clinics and all those kinds of things. And so we're trying to be partners in the midst of that. And we have a missions pastor at Lakeside, and he said, hey, I want you to go and I want you to um, be on this mission trip, this vision trip, to find out how we at Lakeside will be involved with the people of Ethiopia. And I said, okay, that's fine. I'm in. Let's go. And so I've, I've done that. But I said, whenever I go out that far away... I always want to stop and see a partner of ours somewhere on that journey, on the way out or on the way back or something. And so on this one, it's like the Lord led me in my mind just to say, I'd like to stop and see the people at New Baptist Temple. And uh, yeah, so um, I just, yeah, I just told our, I told our missions pastors, like, I'll do, I'll do, I'll do the Ethiopia thing, but I want to be in Brooklyn uh, during that trip. So that's kind of how I got here to be with you guys today. 
So I am very excited about what God's doing among you, and I'm excited about speaking to you from God's Word today. So um, let me pray with you, and then let's just look into Scripture, okay? Father in Heaven, you are um, an amazing God, and you work in our lives in such amazing ways. And I don't know everybody's story here in the room. Uh, I know a few stories in the room, and I know something about my story and how you're working in my life. But Lord, I wonder what you want to do today in this group of people. We are all together, and together we're called church, and church means something. The fact that we come together and we worship you and we serve you and we serve one another, that means something. And I believe that you have put your church in this spot, in, at these days in this school. I believe you've put us here for a reason. And that reason is to bring light to this community. And so, Lord, I pray that through your word today you would bring light to us. And as you shape us and you mold us in the way you want us to be, I pray that you would bring light from us to others. And I pray that you would bring change into this city and change into this world because of the things we share together here today. Father, we come in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. All right. So, um, how many of you are list people? You like to make lists, you like to have lists, those kind of things. Put them up high. Don't be shy. All right, about half of you. How many of you really don't like lists at all? Almost the other half of you. How many can't decide? I just don't know. It hurts my head. I don't know. I came across, uh, I came across a list. There's a lot of lists in the Bible. I don't know if, you, if you've really thought this through, but there's a lot of lists in the Bible, right? Like there's a list in Genesis chapter 1. It's a list of the days of creation. Day, you know, there was evening and there was morning, day one, and there was evening and there was morning, day two, and all that kind of thing through Genesis chapter one. There's also a list, uh, some people call it the Big Ten. You know that one? Yeah, Ten Commandments, right? Anybody know any of the Ten Commandments? Give me one. Thou shalt honor your mother and father. That's a good one. <coughs> father and mother. Well, sure, okay, but moms would like that the other way around, probably. But yeah, yeah, father and mother. On your father and mother. You know one more of, the, of that list? That's even a bigger one. That, that made the big two. Yeah, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Any more? Thou shalt not murder. That's a good rule. You haven't broken that one yet, have you? Okay, that's good. <coughs> Of course, there's another list that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 5. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It takes those, you know, you shall not murder. And he says, he kind of ratchets it up. He says, don't get angry. If you get angry, it's just like murder. How you doing now? Doing okay? Never get mad, never get angry? Yeah, you get angry, I know. So that's, you know, but that's a list, right? The Ten Commandments, that's a list in the Bible. There's another list. There's a list of eternal values. Do you know the list of eternal values? It's, just, it's a short list. You know that list? It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. It says, these, now these three things remain. Faith and hope and love. Uh, and the greatest of these is love. Those three things will last forever. That's a list. There's a list in the Bible of spiritual gifts. There's a list in 1 Corinthians 12. There's one in Romans 12. There's one in Ephesians 4 and one in 1 Peter 4. And it's a list of spiritual gifts. And, and God says, in this list is something that every one of you have. Now, you don't always have the same gift as one another, but every one of you has a gift if you're a follower of Christ. There's some way that he's gifted you. 
so that you express the Spirit of God and you express the Son of God in your life when you express that gift. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, let's see, there's a list of, ten, a list of the uh, apostles. How many apostles are there? Twelve apostles, right? Do you know their names? Peter, right? Peter and Andrew and James and John and the others. <coughs> That's the list. There's the, 12, there's the twelve tribes of Israel. Another list. Anybody know the twelve tribes of Israel? Ten. You know ten? Who are the ten? Oh, Dan, tribe of Dan. Yeah, Dan. Judah, yeah, yeah, okay, so, and, and the others, right? So good, okay, all right, you have that. All right, there's a lot of lists in the Bible. We're going to talk about one of those lists today. I want to, I came across another list. It's kind of the list of churches. You ever hear one of those stories about how many people it takes to change a light bulb? Right, there's all kinds, you know, you know how, many, how many grocery store clerks does it take to change a light bulb? Whatever the, you know, whatever the thing is. Well, here's a list of people in churches and how many it takes of them to, to change a light bulb, depending on what kind of church they're in. Right? So, do you all have the same church background? Anybody here grow up Catholic? Okay, any Methodist? No Methodist. Uh, Presbyterian? No, none of those. A lot of Catholic. Uh, Baptist? Are you Baptist? All right. Pentecostal? Okay, good. So, you, so you get it. How many members of certain churches does it take to change a light bulb? How many charismatics does it take to change a light bulb? One. Only one. No, no, wait, so I'm getting the wrong one. That's the wrong list. How many charismatics? Ten. One to change the bulb and nine to bind the spirit of darkness. How many independent fundamentalists does it take to change a light bulb? One. Because any more than that might result in too much cooperation. How many Nazarenes? Five. Two to change the light bulb and three to organize the fellowship dinner following. <laughs> How many TV evangelists does it take to change a light bulb? One. But for the message of light to continue, please send a donation today. <laughs> How many Presbyterians does it take to change a light bulb? You don't know because none of you are Presbyterian, but... The way the story goes, at least ten, as they need to hold a debate on whether or not the light bulb exists. And even if they can agree upon the existence of the light bulb, they still might not change it to keep from alienating those who might use other forms of light. How many Methodists does it take to change a light bulb? This statement was issued. We chose not to make a statement either in favor of or against the need for a light bulb. However, if in your own journey you have found that a light bulb works for you, that's fine. You are invited to write a poem or compose a modern dance about your personal relationship with your light bulb or light source or non-dark resource and, pre and present it next month in our annual Light Bulb Sunday service in which we explore a number of light bulb traditions including incandescent, fluorescent, three-way, long life, and tinted, all of which are equally valid paths of luminescence. No wonder you're not Methodist. How many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? Change? Who said anything about change? <laughs> mm. 
How many Catholics does it take to change a light bulb? None. They use candles. <laughs> How many Amish does it take to change a light bulb? What's a light bulb? That's a list. I want to, I want to give you a, a passage of Scripture today that when you look at it, you're just going to say, oh, that's just a list. It's one of these passages that when you come to it, when you're reading the Bible for yourself, which I hope you all do, I hope you'll all take time every day and open the Scripture and look at it for yourself. But this is one of those passages that when you come to it, you look at it and you'll scratch your head and you'll say, why is that in the Bible? It's just a list. And so we printed this up for you. I want to read some of what we printed on this uh, what do you call this, Pastor Edwin? A, a sermon map? Sermon map. Good. So you know where we're going. This is Romans chapter 16. So listen to some of this. It's written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sancria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been a great help to many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Greet my dear friend Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, who am I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stockies. Greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobos, Hermas, and the brothers with them. Greet Philologus, Julius, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Now, what do you think of that passage when you read it? What? Greek? Oh, greeting each other. Thank you. I don't hear very well in a, in a room like this. Greet, yeah, it's a greeting to one another. Okay, that's true. It's a greeting. But when I read that, I go, really? Who's Persis? I mean, I don't care about Persis. I've never met Persis. I've never met a person named Persis. I can't even say all that together in one time, right? Ampliatus, really? There's a guy named Ampliatus and Fibonies, you know, and androgynous. I don't, you know, I don't know who these people are. What do you do with that? And your temptation, here's my temptation. When I'm reading through the scriptures on my own, I get to that passage, I go, and I go on to 1 Corinthians. Right? Because it's just a list. Except I would say this, don't call it a list. Don't call it a list, because it means much more than that. There's a reason that God put that in the scriptures. There's something that God wants us to have from this passage, from the scriptures, from that thing that looks like, a list. Let me just check it out with you. 
<coughs> there's a woman named Phoebe on the list. She's first on the list. It's fascinating. There's a woman who's first on the list. And in a lot of our, in the world today, they would say, really, you put a woman first on the list? That's what Paul did. He honored a woman above everybody else who was on the list. He put her very first. Now, Paul met uh, Phoebe in Corinth. Corinth, remember, there's a letter to the Corinthians. There's two letters to the Corinthians, first and second. And Paul met her in Corinthians. They were going different directions when they met. She was leaving Corinth to go to Rome. He was leaving Corinth to go to Jerusalem. Paul was ready to give an offering to the people of Jerusalem. He collected it from all the churches around, and they were very poor in Jerusalem. He said, we're going to help with our resources. We're going to help these people over here. And so he's on his way to Jerusalem. She's on her way to Rome. And he says to her, I want to write a letter to the Christians in Rome. Would you carry it for me? The mail system wasn't so hot in those days. They didn't have, you know, the U.S. Postal Service or the Roman Postal Service or whatever. So what you did when you wanted to send a letter was you just found somebody who was going that direction. And if you trusted them, you gave them the letter and said, here, take it. So that's what Paul did with Phoebe. Uh, He gives her this letter. And he sends it to the Roman Christians, and he sends along with her this note of recommendation. Hey, when Phoebe comes to you, welcome her. And if she needs anything, you provide it for her. Be hospitable to her. Make sure she has what she needs. Because she has been very valuable to the church and to me. Paul says, Phoebe's this wonderful woman. She's a wonderful servant of the church in Sancria, which is next door to Corinth. And she's been a help to a great number of people including me, Paul says. And so when she comes to you, make sure you welcome her. Because she's one of us. She's a follower of Christ with us. So make sure you welcome her. And by the way, don't call it a list. You know anybody named Phoebe? I don't know any Phoebes, but I know some Phoebes. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know anybody named Phoebe, but I know some people who act like Phoebe, where they serve the rest of the church, they care for the rest of the church, they make sure that everybody else has their needs met in the church. I know several people that act like Phoebe in our church in Sacramento. I told you, if you were with us yesterday in the little discipleship training that we did, the um, leadership training, um, I told you a story about um, Ann Herman. So the rest of you that weren't there, I want to just tell you their, her story. Ann is this little lady. She's about this tall, and uh, she's in her 80s now. She probably weighs about 80 pounds. She's this beautiful, beautiful woman. Uh, she and her husband have been married about 64 years now. Um, yeah, I, I got to celebrate their I got to celebrate their 60th anniversary a few years ago. So. Maybe it's even more than 64 years. Um, and Anne is the kind of, she's a Phoebe. She's the kind of person who looks out for others. She's the kind of person who brings groups together. She says, hey, let's have a prayer group, and she brings them together. Or let's have a serving group, and she brings them together. And then she deploys them out into the church somewhere. And so years ago, Anne came to me, and she said, Pastor Brad, people, aren't, people in our church aren't caring for those people who are sick in the hospital very well. I said, well, Annie, what do you think we should do about that? You know, do, you, do you have a plan? She said, well, I'd like to volunteer to be the, the person to greet people or visit people in the hospital. I said, that's a great plan. Why don't you do that? And she said, okay, I'll do it. And she actually got some other people around her, and they did it together. They shared this responsibility and, and a privilege, really, of going out to the hospital and visiting those who were sick there. And Annie has this great capacity to love people when she comes into their space, wherever that space is. And if you're in the hospital... 
uh, Annie has this great ability and capacity to be able to love you. And so, and I tell people this because I don't, I don't go to the hospital. I don't visit the hospital. Um, I don't really like needles or blood. They have lots of those at hospitals. But really, more than that, I just feel like I have certain gifts that God has given to me, and other people have gifts that God has given to them, and we ought to use those gifts accordingly. And so I said, okay, Annie, you're going to be the one who goes and visits in the hospital, and I'm not. And she was okay with that, and most of the people in the church were okay with that because of this. When, when Annie visits you in the hospital, you know that you are really loved. When I visit you in the hospital, you know that you are really sick. (laughs) And Annie is a Phoebe. And I bet you have a Phoebe among you. Right? Maybe you have several Phoebes among you. Maybe they don't... They don't go by that name, but there are several Phoebes among you who are the ones, they just come alongside and they serve and they care and they bless people. That's Phoebe. Paul says, don't call it a list because of people like Phoebe and people like Anne and people like the ones you're thinking about right now. Well, a little farther in Paul's uh, presentation of these names here in Romans chapter Uh, 16, he comes to another couple uh, named Priscilla and Aquila. Now, here's an interesting couple. Um, He says in verses 3 and 4, all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Why? Because they risked their lives for the sake of Paul. Did it matter to the people who were were, um, Christ followers, who were Gentile Christ followers, did it matter to them that Paul was alive? Why? Because if it wasn't for Paul, they wouldn't be Christ followers. If it wasn't for Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles, they wouldn't be Christ followers. And Paul says these, this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, they risked their lives for the sake of Paul. It mattered that they were there. They were risk takers on behalf of Paul. They were risk takers on behalf of the gospel. And of course, when you think about that, you go, well, there must be a story behind that a little bit. And so I, want to, I just want to give you a little bit of the story of Priscilla and Aquila and how Paul met them and how they served together in the church of Christ. Uh, If you have your Bible and you want to turn to this, you can turn to Acts chapter 18. Or you can just listen to this as I read it. Acts, you know, turn back to the left in your Bible if you're not really familiar with it yet. Acts chapter 18. Uh, Verse 1 says this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them, and every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogues, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So Aquila was a Jewish man with a Roman or Italian wife. And they'd been kicked out of Rome. The emperor had forced all the Jews to leave Rome. And Aquila and Priscilla showed up in Corinth over next to Athens in Greece about the same time Paul did. And it turns out they had the same profession. They had the same uh, skill or craft that they practiced. They were tent makers. It's interesting. Sometimes you think of the Apostle Paul and you go, well, he was a scholar or he was a lawyer or he was, you know, a teacher or something like that. Well, actually, for a living, he made tents. 
Yeah, and so Priscilla and Aquila, they were also tent makers. And so they, they were really in the same union. They were in the same guild together. And so they met each other and they said, hey, I make tents. You really, you make tents. Oh, that's great. Let's, let's work together. And while they were working together, Paul led them to faith in Christ. So now Priscilla and Aquila are following Jesus like Paul is following Jesus. And then their story goes on uh, in verse 18. Of, of Acts 18. It says this, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sancria because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So now he's left them in Ephesus. He's got Priscilla and Aquila, and they're there in Ephesus, and there's going to be a change in the story because they get left there. So imagine this. Here's these tent makers. They get, they get driven out of Rome by the emperor, and they land in Corinth, and they meet this guy there named Paul who's this you know, kind of a wild, crazy-idea man. He's, he, they call him an apostle of Jesus, and he tells them the story of the gospel, how Jesus loved them enough to die on a cross to take their sins away, and that he didn't stay dead, but he rose again to guarantee them life. And he tells them that story, and they believe it. And they become so passionately engaged with the gospel and so passionately engaged with this leader named Paul that when he leaves, they say, we're going to go with you. And he takes them with, them to Eph- with him to Ephesus. And now there they are in Ephesus, and they're serving Christ there. And Paul goes on his journey to Judea to take that offering to Jerusalem. But they stay there in Ephesus. Now, the next part of the story comes in. Verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. There's this eloquent young preacher, and he's traveling around. There's this brilliant man named Apollos who came from Alexandria, which is where the greatest library in the ancient world existed. And so he's got all this education, all this training, and he knows about Jesus. But all he knows about Jesus is the beginning of his life. He knows that Jesus came, and there was this guy named John the Baptist who dunked Jesus in the water in the Jordan River, and that began the change. That began the the process of the kingdom of God coming among us. And that's all he knew about Jesus. He didn't know about the cross. And he didn't know about the resurrection. And he didn't know that Jesus ascended into heaven. He didn't know the rest of the story. He just knew that, that beginning part with John the Baptist. And so Aquila and Priscilla, they say, hey, would you come into our house? Now, I don't know how comfortable you would be doing this, right? Let's say, you know, a guest speaker comes in like me. And, you know, and they're sort of introduced as an expert and like, you know, this guy's supposed to know what's going on. Then he gets up to speak and you realize he doesn't know the whole story. And so now you've got to kind of muster up the boldness to say, "Um, excuse me, Dr. Apollos, could we take you home for lunch today? Because we want to tell you where your story isn't straight. We want to tell you where there's more about Jesus than you know. How intimidating would that be? And yet that was... Priscilla and Aquila, they said, Hey, Apollos, can we just tell you some more about the story of Jesus? 
because we want to make sure you have it down straight. And they set up this guy, Apollos, as one of the great preachers of the first century Christians. And it was all thanks to Priscilla and Aquila, these people who had met Paul as tent makers. You know, sometimes in your life, you're going you're gonna to say, you know, I really don't have anything that God can use. You know, I just, I make tents for a living. You know, I don't know what it's like to make tents for a living today. It's probably an assembly line, and all you do, do is sew two seams together next to the zipper. You know, and then it goes on to the next guy. You know, or maybe you work in a grocery store or, you know, maybe you work as a custodian in a school like this. I don't I don't know. But sometimes we look at ourselves and we go, I don't have that much to offer. And then this bright light like Apollos comes in and you go, wow, that's the guy that, you know, that guy can serve Jesus. But I really can't. Aquila and Priscilla never said I can't do it. They never said I'm just a tent maker. They had this capacity to believe God for something great through them. And they served the whole church of Jesus Christ because they risked their lives for the Apostle Paul and they helped coach the great preacher, Apollos, in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Don't call it a list. See, you may know some Priscilla's and some Aquila's in your life. Right? I know... I know some Priscilla's and Aquila's in my life. There's a couple at our church uh, in Sacramento. Their names are John and Shelby Maddox. They're a young couple. They've been in our church for about 12 or 15 years, I think. But they're a young couple. And for years, they couldn't have children. They tried and tried to have children, but they, for some reason, they couldn't have children. Eventually, after they've been married, I don't know, 10 or 12 years, they finally had their first child. And right about the time that child showed up in their family... We were inviting an intern to come and work with us in the church. His name was J.J. And J.J. was a young guy. He was going to go to seminary. And while he was going to seminary, he wanted to work with us and become an intern and, you know, be trained in the ministry while he was going to school. And we said, okay, J.J., that's fine. We'd love to have you, but we don't have any place for you to stay. And he he said, well, I'm I'm not going to have very much money while I'm an intern. So, you know, how are we going to work this out? John and Shelby Maddox stepped forward and they said, we'll take J.J. into our home. And he can live with us. We'll provide food for him. We'll provide shelter for him. He can stay with us. We said, you just had your first baby. You've got this brand new baby. You're going to bring this you know, t- young 20-something guy in, this student, come into your house and take up your space and eat your food. And you've got a baby. Yeah, eat your food. They said, yeah, we're going to take him in. He stayed with them. He lived with them for four years while he did his studies and while he worked with us as an intern. And who knows... If you might hear J.J.'s name someday as one of the great preachers of our generation, and he was nurtured by Priscilla and Aquila, also known as John and Shelby Maddox. Because they had the gift of hospitality and they had the gift of wisdom, and they said, we'll share that with this young man. Don't call it a list. In verse 5, there's another name that pops up. Verse 5, it talks about this young a uh, man named Eponidas. Eponidas. You ever heard of him? How many of you have heard of Eponidas before? Yeah. Really? Who's Eponidas? Well, only the very first convert in Asia. He's like the very first guy who put his faith in Christ in Asia through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. His name's Eponidas, and we all forgot about him. Well, that's all right. You didn't have to, you know. I don't remember his name either, except for giving a talk like this. Eponidas. He's the very first convert of Paul in Asia. Imagine what it was like for Paul when he was the first missionary going into Asia, which is now Turkey, right? Imagine what it was like for him. Imagine how frightening it was to go into this place, into this, 
you know, strange place, although it was, kind of his, it was kind of his home region, but he's going back now, not as a Jewish person necessarily, but as a follower of Christ. And he's got this message. The message says something like this. There was this man who lived a perfectly holy life. Now, right off the bat, everyone's pretty skeptical, because who do you know who's lived a perfectly holy life? Nobody in my, nobody in my experience, right? And so he says, there's this man who lived a perfectly holy life, and then he died on a cross. Well, now all the people in Turkey were suspicious because nobody dies on a cross. A cross was an execution tool. Nobody died on a cross unless they were a criminal. So you're telling me he lived a perfectly holy life and he died on a cross? Nobody believes that, Paul. Oh, and then Paul adds that. He says, not only did he die on the cross, but he died on the cross for our sins. Okay, he's a perfectly holy man who dies as a criminal being executed on a cross, and then you're saying that he died for my sins? Yeah, but that's not the whole story, because he also rose from the grave. So that we would have life if we would believe in him. Who's going to believe that? That's a crazy story. That's a messed up story. No one's going to believe that. Well, there's this young man in, in Asia Minor in Turkey named Eponidas, and he said, I believe how do you think Paul felt about this young man, Eponidas? Think he loved him? Think he was grateful for him? Eponidas. I remember my Eponidas. Uh, my Eponidas, the first, the first person that I was able, by God's grace, to lead to faith in Jesus when we moved into Sacramento and we started Lakeside Church there. The very first day we started, we, we met in a, a building a little bit like this, about this same size. It was, the, it was called the Folsom Eagles Hall. I don't know if you have Eagles Halls here in Brooklyn. Do you have Elks Lodge? Yeah, it's like an Elks Lodge, okay, but they were the Eagles instead of the Elks. I don't know why. But, so they've got this Eagles Lodge, and it's got really funky, you know, pictures on the walls and things. And they said we could use their building. They wouldn't clean it for us, so I had to come in early in the morning and mop the floors and get it all set up and do all that stuff. And the very first day, this young woman comes into our church service. She's a beautiful young woman, red hair. She's got two little girls, uh, three years old and two years old, Janessa and Brittany. And they walk in, and, and, uh, and I got to meet them. They actually, long story, but they had brought cookies for the very first day of church, you know. And so it's like, wow, thanks for sharing. That's cool. And uh, so they come to church. They came back the next week, which was really great because we didn't know if anybody was going to come back. You know, you got service number one, and if it's a dud, no one's coming back the next week, right? So they actually came back the next week, and then they came back the next week. About three or four weeks into the life of our church, I asked Karen, which was the woman's name, I said, Karen, you keep coming. You got these two beautiful little girls. You must have a husband. She said, oh, yeah, I'm married. Uh, John is my husband's name, but... um, I said, well, John never comes to church with you. She says, John will never come to church with me. Uh, he, he is just not interested in church. Well, you know what happened after about another month? John showed up. God was doing something in his life that he didn't even know what it was because his wife was coming and his daughters were coming to church. And after a couple of months, John showed up at church. Turns out he worked at a drugstore where he had, to, uh, he had to work every other Sunday. So now, it tur- now the way the, the thing rolled out... John started showing up every other Sunday. I'm like, this is awesome. He's here every other Sunday. That means every time that he's off work, he's at church. And his wife had said, he will never come. Well, about six months went by, and Sunday rolls around, and John shows up to church without his wife and without his daughters. I said, hey, John, you know, where's Karen and the girls today? 
He says, oh, they're off visiting some friends about an hour from here. They're, you know, they're you know, on a little vacation. He said, John, you came all by yourself? You know, I thought, right? Because I thought you were just being dragged here by your wife. Like, come on, honey, I want someone to go to church with me. Turns out, John had been paying attention to that strange message about the gospel and the cross and the resurrection and all. He'd been paying attention to that. And then one day, John came to church on his own. And I thought, we have him. He's thinking about the gospel. He's thinking about faith in Christ. And it wasn't very much longer after that that I had the privilege of baptizing John as a follower of Jesus Christ. Yeah. He is, he is my Eponidas. Don't call it a list. There's another person that shows up in the list in verse 6. doesn't say very much about her. Just calls her Mary. It says, Greet Mary who worked very hard for you. Know anybody named Mary? Any Marys here? Oh, that seems kind of rare. A lot of, you know, a lot of Marys in the world, right? We know a lot of Marys. Well, here's an interesting woman. Greet Mary who worked very hard for you. Scholars believe that Mary was one of the early believers in Rome and she worked hard on behalf of the other believers in Rome, which means she saw needs and she jumped in to meet those needs. She worked very hard to take care of the needs of others. Over the years, we've had a lot of Marys in our church. Over the years, I bet, you've had a lot of Marys in your church. Right? But there's one woman who I think of when I think of Mary. Her name is Chris. In the very early days of our church, after we moved out of the Eagles Hall, and we moved into this little commercial building. We were there for about three years. And again, it was about the size of this room. And uh, we had some children's spaces in the back, which you must have, because I'm not hearing the children. So they must be downstairs. Downstairs, right? <laughs> Better downstairs than upstairs, right? Because it would be a lot more noisy if they were upstairs. So anyway, so we had some back rooms in our church, just kind of little tiny rooms for children. And someone had donated some, some rugs to put on the floor for the children so they'd have a place to sit on the floor. Now, the rugs were clean, but they had stains on them. So we'd washed them and made sure they were sanitized and all that stuff, but the stains didn't come out. So they looked terrible. One day, two young families came to our church for the first time. They both came on the same day. And after they'd been there for about a month, both women, in separate conversations, came to me. And they both said this, Pastor Brad, the rugs in the children's room are pathetic. They're filthy. Now, they weren't. They were clean, but they were stained. The children, the children were safe, okay? But they both said the same thing. The, the rugs in the children's rooms are pathetic. One woman who told me that never came back to church again. And the other woman was named Chris. And she said, Pastor Brad, the rugs in the children's rooms are pathetic. Could we buy you some more rugs? She's a Mary. She said, I see a need, and I have the resources to meet that need. Can we meet that need? That's a Mary. No wonder Paul included her in his letter. Don't call it a list. It's filled with people like Eponidas and Mary and Priscilla and Aquila and Phoebe. Don't call it a list. But there's more. There's a guy named, in verse 8, there's a guy named Ampliatus. He just says this, Greet Ampliatus, whom I love in the Lord. Paul, for some reason, is so fond of this man. He just says, Greet Ampliatus. I love him. 
I have all kinds of ampliates in our church, which is the plural for, plural for ampliates. Ampliates. Come on, stay with me on this, right? I've got a lot of ampliates in our church. I've got Marshall and Bruce and Mike and Sean and Jeff and, you know, a list of people I could say, these are people whom I love. They are people whom I love. Here's a guy, Ampliatus. Paul says, make sure you say hi to him. I love him. There's something about this group of people that Paul is writing to that he just loves them. There's something of a, of a nature of the people that are in this thing that you are tempted to call a list. There's something about these people and Paul just says, I love them. We have served together. They have served me. They have helped me. We have, we have helped others. I love them. I imagine that you have someone named Ampliatus here at New Baptist Temple. Probably a lot of Ampliates among you. People that the pastor can look to and just say, I love that person. I love those people. Then in verse 12, he has a couple others. He says, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa. Imagine them. <laughs> Tryphena and Tryphosa. Who, who were those women? They're women. Who were they? Tryphena and Tryphosa. Can you imagine them? Did they look alike? Did they, were they twins? Did they dress alike? In our church at Lakeside, we have, uh, we have a couple of women um, named Randy and Janelle. Randy and Janelle, they, they cut their hair the same. They dye it the same color. They wear the same outfits on the same day. They call each other, apparently, in advance and say, what are you wearing today? You know? I guess, because they always show up in the same outfit, and they are virtually inseparable. They are Tryphena and Tryphosa. They are not sisters, but they think they are. They are sisters in Christ. Amen. And they share something together. They share a bond together uh, as they serve Christ together. They, they share a bond that's amazing and it's inseparable. Don't call it a list. And then this man. I love this. Verse 13 says, Greet Rufus. Any Rufuses here? No? Yeah. When I was in trouble, my mother used to call me Rufus. <laughs> what do you call me that for? Because I'm mad at you. Oh, well, Rufus was a fascinating man. His story, a little bit of his story, or his name is mentioned in Mark chapter 15. At the end of the story of the Gospel of Mark, in verse 21, it says, When Jesus was carrying his cross up to Calvary, and he stumbled under the weight of his cross the Roman soldiers forced a man named Simon of Cyrene to carry Jesus' cross. So they shoved Jesus aside, they brought Simon in, they loaded him up with Jesus' cross, and both of them, Jesus and Simon, trudged up that hill to get to Calvary. And it says that Simon was the father of Rufus. Rufus has a history with the Gospel. Rufus has a history with the cross. And now Rufus lives in Rome, and he's somewhat of a celebrity in Rome, right? Because he was there on the day, or at least his dad was there on the day that Jesus died. 
And the Christians in Rome could look at Rufus and say, can you tell us the story again? Can you tell us what it was like again? Because I really want to know. And Paul says, make sure you say hello to Rufus for me and his mother. Maybe Simon has already passed away. But his wife, Rufus's mother, is still there. And he says, she's not only been a mother to Rufus, but she's been a mother to me. In our church in Sacramento, uh, there's a couple that have been with us for maybe 15 or 18 years. I'm not sure how long. They're older. They have also celebrated their 60th wedding anniversary. No, 50th wedding. I think they're about 55 years now married together. Their names are Jack and Renee. Jack served in the U.S. Navy um, about the time of the Korean War, I believe. Uh, They lived for years and years with a daughter who was severely disabled, uh, so much so that they had to carry her everywhere that she went. Um, She couldn't speak for herself. She couldn't feed herself. They cared for this young girl until she passed away years ago. In my life, my dad passed away uh, about six months before the turn of the millennium. You know, it's like he had hoped to live to to the year 2000, and he didn't make it by about six months. So now it's been for me about 11, 11 years since my dad passed away. And there's this couple in our church named Jack and Renee. And they have been a father and a mother to me. I'm 51 years old. And I still need a father and a mother. And Jack and Renee are a father and a mother to me. Don't call it a list. It's full of the names of people. It's full of the names of people that are just like the people in this room, that are just like the people in this church. Don't call it a list. Because every one of those names has a story behind it. Every one, of those sto- every one of those names has some story that says, this is who they are. And every one of those names has some statement of faith where they say, this is what I believe and this is who I believe. I believe in Jesus Christ. Savior of my soul. Don't call it a list. Yeah, but if you're not going to call it a list, what are you going to call it? I mean, it's a chapter of Scripture. It's a, it's a story in the Bible. It's, 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 it looks like a list. If, it's not, if you don't call it a list, then what do you call it? If you're not going to call it a list, call it church. That's what it is. It's not a list. It's the church. It's not a list. It's the life-giving, grace-giving, spirit-filled people of God who are living out the gospel of Jesus Christ every single day where they live. It's a church just like this church. And the people that you find in Romans chapter 16 are the same people you will find on the stage singing in the band or down front or up here teaching the message or out there living among this world and trying to bring light into this dark place. Don't call it a list. Call it the church of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. That's what we are. That church is the hope of the world. Jesus, I pray for us today.
Lord, I pray for my friends here. Because um, right here in this room, there are a bunch of Marys. And there are a bunch of Phoebes. And there are a bunch of Aquilas and Rufuses, Lord. So, Father, I pray for us today. Because maybe someone could write a letter like Romans and they would include a story of the Christ followers from New Baptist Temple in their last chapter. And they would be able to tell the story of what your church is doing in this city and how you're changing this city because of the people that are in this church. Lord, I pray for it. I pray for your grace for these people. I pray for your kingdom to come through these people. I pray for your story to be told through these people. To the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.